After you drop off the kids or put them to bed, turn on Childish with real-life friends and podcasting virtuosos Greg Fitzsimmons and Allison Rosen. Laugh about the struggles and joys of parenthood. Grow closer to your children. Learn something useful or not. Maybe feel less alone. And maybe even put the spark back into your love life. Childish is for people who are parents or had parents if you had no parents, maybe check out WTF with Mark Marin. Subscribe to Childish. New episodes coming soon wherever you listen to podcasts. Childish, oh shit. Last time I checked, I was still a kid. Childish, childish. This all freaks me out a bit. Childish, oh shit. How can I pet when I'm still a kid? Childish, oh shit. Who the hell is Hey everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm sitting here with return guest, comedian, writer, Josh Gondelman. Hello and welcome. Hi, Allison. Thanks for having me back. It's good to have you back. Uh, now, I've made much noise about the fact that my New Year's resolution, which only started in March, is to do better intros of my guests because usually I just trust that just like I know about them, my listeners will too. However, I feel like it's rude to just to not give to not give someone all the info. Here sure. it comes. Here comes all the info Let's that someone could want about Josh Gondelman. Which is there I mean, people already have more than enough. <laughs> I think no, that's not true. Uh, if they've listened so far. <laughs> a comedian and writer. Um your third album, Dancing on a Weeknight, which is so funny. Oh, thank you. Just came out. It's streaming, it's also on vinyl. It also has the coolest cover. Thank you. It was the photo was by uh, Mindy Tucker, who's like an amazing photographer, does a ton of New York comedy stuff. And then the design was by my friend molly roth who works she's full-time at last week tonight i love it you're a former writer on Mm -hmm. last week tonight with john oliver current writer and producer Mm -hmm. on uh jesus and marrow Mm -hmm. which some people mispronounce Dezus. Dezus, they say Dezus. yeah Dezus. it's not that you guys it's jesus and marrow and that's on showtime on showtime yeah uh and you have a book of essays coming out in september called nice try and you also have a book that came out in two, i believe it was 2015 yeah good, that's when you were on memory. the show yep. uh called you blew it but that's not the full title no full it's title. you blew it oh man uh oh i like truly can't remember the name of my own book uh, the subtitle, because the new one is, I, it's like the same rhythm. The new one is Nice Try, Stories of Best Intentions and Mixed Results. And he was, you blew it. Awkward. God damn it. <laughs> I, man, this is brutal. It's okay, because... Oh, the awkward way in which you've already ruined, awkward ways in which you've already ruined your life. Yes. Yes. There you go. And that was written with Joe Berkowitz. It was, yeah, Joe's awesome. And Joe's since written another book. Um, called Away With Words about pun competitions, mm-hmm. which is so sweet and tender uh, and has a very, you know, it, on its face, it's a very silly premise, but it's like a really lovely book. And then he has a new one that he's in the process of writing about cheese. Oh, I definitely need to get him on the show then. He's awesome. Yeah. You would, yeah, you would love him. He's like a super, super good dude and a great writer. Um, wait, I must ask, 
and then we can return to the topic at hand. Mm-hmm. Are there actual pun competitions? Yeah. Yo, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the big, like, I think it's called the O. Henry pun competition in Austin. And that's like the big annual one. And then there are like little I, satellite events makes them sound affiliated. But for years, Joe Firestone, who's a very funny and wonderful writer and comedian and actor, uh, ran uh, Punderdome, uh, Punderdome <laughs> 3000, I think, in Brooklyn. And I think that's a, I believe that's like a board game card game now. Underdome. Nice. And also, you've gotten married since we last. I know. Talked. Now, you had a pug then. You still have this pug. still have a pug. The pug makes many appearances. Not not literally, but is uh, joked about a lot on mm-hmm. the new album. Excuse me. Yeah, she's a focal point. Um, we, I think some of that material was like taking shape last time I talked to you, but it just hadn't been ready um, for to do on stage, really. And now uh, I have like 10 minutes about my dog who's just like a pillow that came a little bit alive <laughs> uh yeah it's so well and you you've had two children i have in the interim i've spawned since you've been here <laughs> <laughs> it feels so different like every i mean like situationally and like uh just our lives feel very different since yeah. the last time we recorded which is so fun do you feel like the last so it was four years ago mm-hmm do you feel like these four years have gone by quickly? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Super fast. I, I feel like there are a lot of things. It's, it's, it hasn't been like a blur, but it has been very fast. It, it feels, um, I kind of blinked and was like, oh, I've been at my job for five years. Um, which is, it's like really wild. It's the longest I've ever worked in one place, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Wait, are you talking about last week? Uh, about last week okay. tonight, yeah. I was there for five years. I started in uh, 2014 and was there through uh, the end of 2018. And then, so did you, how did the new job come about? I was asked to interview, They, I was a fan of Jesus and Marrow from their previous show and I, their podcast is incredible mm-hmm. and they're just, I knew them, uh, knew of them both from social media and Twitter and stuff. They, and so I got asked to come in and interview for a position. I thought, you know, what's, what's the harm? I really like them and we'll see if it's a good fit. And it just ended up being like, we got along really well and, uh, I'm very excited to be there. It was, it was, um, it's just a very different vibe. I mean, the show is a very different vibe. And so I thought it would be fun to move to a, a place as long as this wonderful opportunity had presented itself where I would kind of like write different kinds of stuff, flex different muscles, learn different skills. Cause I feel like I'm still like learning the ropes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm trying to like get as good as I can at as much as I can. What's been the biggest challenge? Oh, interesting. Um, I think a show translating a show that was traditionally when they, the version of, a show called Jesus and Marrow that they did previously on Viceland was very like quick and dirty. And they shot in a conference room and they, you know, shot, they chopped it down for an edit, turned it around and did it four times a week. And now we're trying to do a bigger production in, we're in a, you know, a studio with a control room and we're shooting stuff in the field and rolling that in. And there's a, a little live audience. And so just like keeping that same energy and spontaneity and like um, flexibility that they had at uh, at their old show, and translating that to like a a bigger kind of less um, less quick and dirty production style. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like you were cheating on your old job when you took the the meeting? No, I it was you know because I I was just kind of like it it didn't feel 
disloyal. I didn't feel like I was going to like leave them in the lurch. Uh, by the time that I met with them, our season had already like started winding down. Um, just in terms of like, we didn't have to look as far out anymore to plan weeks ahead. Uh, so I felt, um, I felt like pangs, but it wasn't, I didn't feel like I was cheating as much as I was like, oh, I'm acknowledging that like nothing lasts forever, even cold November rain. That's an expression I made up. <laughs> I like, <laughs> thank you, you. Of putting that to music. No, never. I couldn't. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know how it that just, would become a song. <laughs> it, just, it should just exist as a poem. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of poetry, this just very, very loosely though. Uh, when we last talked, I know we went back to, into your backstory. Yeah. And your aspirations were to be in, in literary journals. Yeah. For a long time. Mm-hmm. Is that still something? Because like your, your comedy career has taken off. Yeah. As much as you're writing for other shows, you're also like a star in your own right. Oh, that's very kind. You're Thank you. nice guy, Josh Gondelman. <laughs> you do pep talks on Twitter. I do. Um, but it's really interesting to watch it sort of like, like that's become, and I, this word is odious sort of, but that's become your brand. Yeah, I think it is what people know me for. And I don't like, I mean, I will sometimes tongue in cheek say on brand about things, but like, I think of it more like it is my, it is like my energy and not in like, I'm not a, um, especially spiritual person. I don't mean in like a cosmic energy Mm. force. I just mean like the vibe I'm putting out, the kind of like, um, the way it feels to hang out with me or like listen to me yammer for a while. <laughs> and so I, I do think that that's like, you know, brand, brand is like the um, marketing sales business version of like voice. Right. And I think my voice, my comedic voice is very encouraging. Mm-hmm. And like, and I think those, I, so that's, the, you know, I, like you said, it's kind of an odious word to say like your personal brand, but it is, I think like my creative voice is that and and that's how i try to think of it more Mm. do you still like where do literary journals fit into all of this so i you know i sold a humor piece to the new yorker print magazine last year and that i feel like kind of scratches a similar itch like because the that's the the prestige yeah the prestige and like the um the highbrow nature of it it felt very like literary to be published there yeah even though it was like a comedy piece. And I, so I, I feel less like pulled to create literature um, as I, but what I, I think a zone or like a lane that I'm finding is like comedy for people who also like literature or comedy, not for those people specifically necessarily, but like that is um, that people who are in that world enjoy as well as people who, just who are comedy fans, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and so I have this, this book coming out in the fall and I kind of feel like it's maybe, you know, it's not high literature, high literary art, but it is like, I worked really hard at the craft of it. And it's, there are a couple stories that I've told on stage, but it, oh, it's not like short transcribed stand up bits. It's like personal essays that mm-hmm. I worked really hard on in my editor uh stephanie who's amazing was like i think edited to be essays not to be like here's what here's some funny stuff put onto a page and printed out for you um what's the subtitle again uh nice try stories of best intentions and mixed results so how did you find the the theme that's a great question my my book agent noah and i kind of went back and forth i took a long time after the last book so joe and i put out a book 
in 2015, as we mentioned, uh, you blew it. The awkward so ways funny. in which you've probably already ruined your life. I remember that now. Um, thank you. And Joe pretty quickly was like, oh, I'm ready to write another book and here's my idea and here's my proposal. And so like, he like, not that it, I don't feel competitive with Joe, but I was like, oh, Joe lapped me. Like he just like <laughs> dove right in. How and soon after was that? It, I mean, that book came out over a year. So, I mean, he must have, he probably sold it in 2016 is my recollection. Wow. So yeah, he was, he like went right to it. It's so like the Irish twins of books. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. I think like, cause I, especially if you're an author professionally, it's like kind of advantageous to kind of make the splash and get the nice press ideally of a book coming out and then use that momentum to be like, and here's my proposal for right. the next one right. uh, and kind of roll it over. So Joe had an idea right away and I was like, damn, he's doing it. But I didn't have that kind of like clarifying idea. So I waited a, for a while and like I would get asked, my friend um, Samantha Wiener who's a book editor and I talked a bunch about maybe doing a book that's like inspired by or like in the vein of the pep talks. But the problem is like, I don't think, like I didn't know what that, sh- what shape that would take mm-hmm. from me. Like I don't know that that's, the hook is strong enough or my, identity is strong enough that people would be like, oh, let's hear this guy write some encouraging words. And it wasn't like, excuse me, I I felt a little weird monetizing this thing that I like do for my own benefit as much Mm -hmm. as anyone else's and just being like, now you pay me for it. (laughs) So uh, I was like, that's totally cashing in. Yeah. Even though I don't think that should be necessarily be a bad thing, but I can understand your concern. It, It was a thing that I like doing for free accessibly and i didn't think there was not just that i felt it wasn't necessarily just the grimy feeling of like now charging money for it but it was also like i don't know what the value add is for Mm. people you know so it it goes both ways like why would people pay for this and why would i stop doing it for free that's like the two sides of that corner for anyone who um doesn't know what twitter pep talks are let's explain them but then let's not and maybe for maybe you're not at risk of losing your train of thought. But as someone who has two kids, one of whom is very young, I can never remember what I was saying. So let's put a pin in where we were. So the pin is how this book came about. Yes. Thank you. Great. So the Twitter pep talks are like usually at night. um, If I come home from a show and my wife is long asleep or if I'm on the road, I'll say, Hey, uh, on Twitter, I'll say, Hey, if anyone needs a dear kind word or a pep talk, I'm here for five minutes. Just let me know. And people will say, oh man, I've got a job interview tomorrow. Like I'm nervous about it. Or ah, I've just been feeling really down lately. And you know, and I just try to say something encouraging and pleasant. I'm like not super advicey. Um, if people seem to have deeper seated problems that they're expressing, I will, you know, I'll say, you know, this might be above my ability to help with, but like, there are people that you can go to for help and, and like that exists and, and you deserve that. And does that happen a lot? Occasionally. Um, you know, most of the time I think it's people who are like, ah, you know, my, um, my cat ran away and like, I'm nervous on my cat's behalf. And so that's like something that is a real problem, but I know how to comfort someone in that Mm -hmm. situation. And occasionally it will, you know, it'll be something deeper. And sometimes I'll send someone a DM and be like, hey, I'm really, uh, you express something that sounds really uh, deep and challenging. And 
like, I want you to know that I hear you, and but I like I think there's maybe you know maybe I'm not the right resource for mm-hmm. this, and like there are other resources, and like go back and forth a little bit. I've done that. Right. That's that ha- that's only happened a handful of times. Mm-hmm. I think normally people don't come at me like um, with like every day is misery, and <laughs> I don't know how I can go on. Right, but you know something a couple it's come up like that a couple times and also oftentimes people will just be like me i need a pep talk yes. and not even say so i will look at people's bios and like last couple of tweets and see and, and try to be generally encouraging but there's also like some things i wrote about this in the new book a little bit but like there are some things that like are just nice to hear and like that are kind of stock answers but they're like my own mm-hmm. you know they're not like cliche it's not like you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take <laughs> Um, but like, there's although some, that is true, it is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like, what are some of your? your I will go-tos? say. I mean, like, your like th- things. I hear that things are feeling bad, and they don't always have to feel like this. Like, there things can be better in the future with help and with effort. Or like, you're probably doing better than you think. Like, you're doing it. You're like, you're showing up every day, and you're doing mm-hmm. it. And like, just little things like that are like not. I I don't think of them as platitudes because I think they're like things that we don't tell each other all the time. I think people feel really seen and heard in in your pep talks and that's part of the beauty of them. Thank you. I mean, I try to be as personal as I can. Like I go off of as much information as I have the, uh, in within the time constraints of like, oh, I'm trying to I got like 50 people requesting this and it's 12:30 and I mm-hmm. want to go to bed soon. So like I won't read everyone's whole Twitter feed, but like if someone's bio is really descriptive. That's very helpful. Or if in the tweet to me, they're very, very specific. That helps too. But I think what's, wow, I'm doing a deep dive on this. I did not intend to. No, that's okay. But, um, we have got that pin. We know where it is. (laughs) That's right. What color do you think the pin is? Oh, that's a great choice. Um, I would say that it is, uh, like a seafoam green Mm. to kind of stick out. My book cover is largely pink. And so it will stick out against it. Okay. I'm visualizing a yellow Love thumbtack, it. Yep. But. Ooh, I was picturing one of those round headed pins. Oh, see, I'm picturing like more of a thumbtack. Yep. You're picturing like a push pin. And I'm. Yeah. The thumbtack. Are you thinking the one with the silver top that just pushes right in or the one that kind of no. looks like a top hat shape? Top hat. Yeah. yeah. Classic tack. Uh, <laughs> I'm classic with my tacks. Mm-hmm. I've um, always said that about you. <laughs> that's my brand. Mm-hmm. Classic tacks. Yeah. <laughs> um. But I think even if it's not the specifics of the person's life where they feel seen and heard, I think there's just like you, you get that life is hard for everyone. Yeah. And I think that, I think people crave feeling like, are they, no one wants to feel talked out of their feelings. Mm-hmm. And even if things aren't that shitty, everyone feels down sometimes. Yeah. And I, I try not to like talk people out of their feelings. I like try to, um, and you know, like, I've had enough kind of casual training in things like active listening techniques and like that, like um, I did orientation stuff in college and I was like a peer mediator in high school, which I don't think I ever had to do a mediation. Mm-hmm. So I've had like enough training that I'm not close. I'm not a therapist. I'm not close to that, but I know enough about like how to listen to people and make and let them know that you're like with them. Mm-hmm. You're on the same page and you're like trying to, be understanding. And that training was to be a peer mediator yeah. and to, to and be to a orientation, orientation leader. So, you know, like they, they train you for like how to deal with people who are having a difficult time. Right. And I've done enough stuff like that, that like 
I've taken little bits and pieces that like, again, it's not formal training in any kind of mental health, but it is like, oh, if you like validate what someone is saying, then that helps because they don't feel like you're dismissing their problem. Mm -hmm. Like little things like that. Remind me what college you went to. I went to Brandeis. That's right. Yeah. What state is that? Massachusetts. It's like eight miles west of Boston. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Let's revisit our... So we were talking about how the book came about. Yeah. How you found the theme. Yes. So this is... I'm so long-winded. Anyway, I... So I was thinking about how to frame a book around the pep talks, which now everybody knows what they are. And I just didn't love it, but I wanted, you know, I didn't, it didn't feel substantial enough Mm -hmm. from me for people to want it. Um, and to be interesting to write. So I also Lynn Manuel Miranda and Johnny son put out a book of like kind of affirmations. Right. Cause he does. Cause he does it. Yeah. And his are kind of like morning, like, musings almost mm-hmm. and, and and johnny um illustrated and, and i feel like that is like a better version of the thing that people wanted from me mm-hmm. and, and so i'm like happy that they did it and that i did not <laughs> um but i wanted that kind of like we're all trying our best attitude to it to permeate the book so i started shaping it originally it had a different title um, and my agent and I kind of like, were look. he, excuse me, he really pushed me to say like, what is the big idea you're trying to convey? And then like everything can be filtered through that lens. And so my, my, um, touchstone was, uh, bad feminist by Roxane Gay, mm-hmm. which is just like, you hear the title and you're like, oh, I'm intrigued. I have an idea of what it's going to be. And then like the her writing is kind of filtered through that lens right mm-hmm. so it's it's like what she's giving you that you know like the angle that or you you know the, the maybe you view. don't know it but like that the different valences of that term mm-hmm. uh and the different resonance that 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 two word phrase has is like really you it's always in your head while you're reading mm-hmm. and so I was, I like came up with a bunch of them and, um, or not just a bunch of two word phrases, but like a bunch of titles and premises and like nice try. I really like, because it is something you can say sincerely, um, you know, but nice try is like a positive thing that also implies failure, Mm -hmm. which I like, uh, because I fail (laughs) a lot, but it's, you know what I mean? Like you can say nice try in a very sincere, encouraging way, but what, part of what you're saying is like, you didn't get it right this time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I remember last time, I think, tell me if this sounds like something that you have thought before. I sure. Think what, Cause I think what you said is, um, the dynamic of someone trying really hard and mm-hmm. still not succeeding yeah. is very compelling to you. Yes, that's, that is, it is really compelling to me in like drama and comedy. Um, I like effort and I like like enthusiasm. Those are things that I really gravitate towards and so, yeah, the idea of like, hey, you did your best and you came up just short, but also nice try is like a thing people say sarcastically mm-hmm. a lot. Um, and then there's like the added angle of like trying to be nice. So, oh, yeah. yeah. So it's like a try at being nice right. or at doing something nice. So like that's kind so the hopefully the arc of the book is about growing up being kind of like a sweet, nice kid and then 
whether when that is the same as being like a good person Mm -hmm. as an adult and when that's different and like kind of the bumps along the road of trying to get there. What are some examples of when it's different? So like, I think that, um, I mean, in the last, uh, in the last essay, it's the most like overtly political Mm -hmm. and it's just about, it's, I talk about like how good it feels to see someone punch a Nazi in the face. (laughs) Right. And that's like not nice. It's not nice to punch someone in the face, but it's good. So sometimes good is different than nice. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's the same. That's something I grapple with. I have grappled with that in my life a lot. Like I used to be when I was a kid, so I didn't have very sophisticated uh, political ideas, but I was a, I was a pacifist. I identified as a pacifist. I, you know, and as an adult, I realized, well, that's beautiful, but it doesn't always work. And like, I really, and also the sort of, and I've, I've, I've mentioned on this podcast before that when I was younger, I thought, um, I wanted to surround myself with people who were always super nice and always like warm and fuzzy Mm -hmm. and it felt good. And as I've gotten older, I realized, no, a friend who's willing to, potentially upset you by saying something true. And yes. I don't mean something shitty. No. But I mean like, you know what I mean? Like but that this... integrity, that I value that even more because when someone's, you know, like honest feedback, I recognize that that person like was taking a risk. Yeah. Yes, for sure. And and, and I think honest feedback, right, is different than, like you said, going out of your way to be a dickhead. Right. Or like setting boundaries. Like, um, you know, just like uh, even like subway etiquette that it's such a um it's it's such a thing where like if people are not obeying the rules you being nice is not always the thing that gets the job done right, right. like i apologize compulsively i and i would apologize if someone pushed me i would oh sorry to be in the way and i like a i'm saying like so much but the i hadn't noticed thank but you. now i will yeah sure i love <laughs> to bring attention to my shortcomings that's one of my habits maybe i said it out loud to hold myself accountable going forward i i don't know but i definitely compulsively called that out um so oh one of my my new year's resolution one year was to stop apologizing Mm. when i'm not sorry and so the the rule of the subway is you let people out and then you go in and that happened in reverse i was trying to get out of the subway and some guy pushed his way in past me and i said sorry and then as the doors closed i realized i was not sorry and i yelled wait i wasn't sorry (laughs) (laughs) and so that's the kind of thing that i'm you know even on that micro micro level and that that go that spirals out infinitely to Mm -hmm. your personal politics and relationships with people um, and then there's things that nice kids don't do that good adults can totally do. And it, not on a level of moral goodness, but the idea of, oh, drinking or sex are things that are not good for children, um, but they're fine for adults. And other than legally, you're allowed to do those things at this point. There's no one that's like, training wheels off Mm -hmm. go get it done you know what i mean so it's like being a nice kid who doesn't sneak around and and drink booze from your parents liquor cabinet and refill it with water right that's not a nice kid thing but a totally nice adult can have a couple drinks Mm -hmm. and but i've always been very or as a younger person i was very controlling and didn't want to i i probably listened in health class more than any other person i know (laughs) So did you have anxiety about sex? Yeah, for sure. 
I definitely did. And I, um, I put off having sex for a long time as a, as a young adult Mm -hmm. because I didn't, I was like, well, what if it's the wrong time? Cause you Mm -hmm. get all that messaging as a kid about wait, you know, it's gotta be, everything's gotta be right. There's gotta be, uh, you have to be in love and there's a candle and, um, you, you know, it's someone you, you think you're going to stay, but it's, I don't think that that is healthy messaging necessarily Mm -hmm. to me. It's, someone you like and trust and want to have sex with and who wants to have sex with you. Mm. And, and I think that's, that seems like enough. (laughs) So you like the stakes seemed very high, very high. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. I want it. Just the, the requirements, the prerequisites were so numerous in my head. Was it because you were looking out for your own experience or because you felt responsible for her experience? Both. I think I was trying to make sure everything was right for me because I felt this is the next stage of this relationship and I want to make sure that there's track ahead of us that this kind of physical commitment to one another is going to propel us to a place that I want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and And I think... You know, there were people that I dated and I guess hooked up is the term with that. I just thought, you know, I don't, I don't think I want to overcommit myself to this person because I would like, I, I'm thinking of like extracting myself (laughs) from this relationship Mm -hmm. and I don't want to push forward in that way and then go, whoops, nope, wrong idea. And, and, uh, metaphorically pull out. (laughs) So can I ask how old were you? Yeah, I was 22. So it was right after college. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you, how, how was that being a virgin in college? It was, I mean, I, it caused me a lot of anxiety, but many things do. <laughs> yeah, it was very, um, I, I just felt behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in a way I was, and then in other ways I was not like, it doesn't matter that much. Right. Um, but I, I was behind in terms of just kind of purely, this also comes up in the book, but it just kind of purely do like skill building, (laughs) if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. So I think, you know, there's just like, it's a practical thing and it's not just, you love someone and you have an emotional connection to them. So you immediately have, uh, satisfying mutually enjoyable Mm -hmm. sex with each other and obviously there's other sex things that are not like what is considered like losing one's virginity in a heterosexual relationship so uh, there was other i wasn't i wasn't like we don't touch you know (laughs) and it wasn't a religious thing it was just an and mostly an anxiety about like am i I ready Mm -hmm. so but i think so much of that uh i i felt behind in a way that and i was behind in a way that there were like skills I was not developing and, and like knowledge of a partner's body that I was not uh, cultivating mm-hmm. to its, its fullest potential. And where do you think the messaging came from? I mean, I think it was, I, as I said before, I think I just listened a lot in health class. So it was, it's, and I said, um, you know, they, they tell you a lot about like, don't, uh, don't do it until you're ready. Make sure you're safe and comfortable. But no, there's no like now. Fuck. <laughs> so <laughs> it's you know I just um 
that's kind of where I was. I was very, I'm very cautious by nature. Yeah. yeah. I'm relating to a lot of this. I also was yeah. a late bloomer and I also wanted to do everything right. And like, I think that, you know, I really took dare and I really took yeah. safe sex stuff mm-hmm. to heart. And I think that a lot of the stuff that you hear in health class is, I'm just going to go on a limb and say, I think it's geared towards the kids who are, uh, who are maturing rapidly. Sure. And it's like any sort of thing they can like any water that any, I don't know what a spike strip they can throw down in front sure, of them. Sure, 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 sure. Kids like you and me who are like rule follower, mm-hmm. I'm assuming rule followers yeah. Oh, yeah. and very conscientious and pride ourselves on being conscientious. Like we didn't need, we could have used just like a dash of that, not all of it. Totally. And I think more, I mean, it seems in some places there are, educators that give more here are some ways to be safe and healthy and i think um you know even in the early aughts i i think that the teachers that i had were very kind and well intentions and and weren't like you're a sinner you're you're filth um you're a bad person but there was a lot of like consequence terror Mm -hmm. that was um that was introduced there. We had one health teacher that it w- wasn't my teacher, um, but the uh, health, one of the other health teachers laid out scenarios that you could get pregnant from oral sex. Oh my and God. it was just this elaborate Rube Goldberg pregnancy. I'm trying to figure it out. It's, it's several steps. We don't have to get all the way into yeah. it, but it was like, that's the kind of stuff. So it was, it was not, a, oh, I think I got it. Yeah. 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 yeah I yeah, don't yeah. think it can work. I, it, I mean, you would, it, theoretically, you would truly but... have to try. Yeah. Or that <laughs> baby fast. is the Messiah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Fast. Speed is of the essence. Right. Um, so it was very, it was very consequence based, which I think consequences are important, mm-hmm. but there was never, or maybe not never. I don't want to, um, I don't want to put a blanket statement over something that was, you know, 18 years ago, but, um, the terror was not counterbalanced by an equal amount of like, Hey, this is something that you're going to do as an adult and it's going to be fun and cool. And, and, um, maybe you'll do it before you're like Mm -hmm. all the way grown and here's just how to make it the best for you and for any partner that you're with. Here's how to make it the safest and make sure you're listening to each other and uh, doing things that are good for your like physical and mental health. Because I feel like maybe the veiled message is don't have sex. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and because it was so, there was so much about it. And maybe, and again, not to cast dispersions on who I to people who I feel like were very good educators. Mostly, mm-hmm. uh, by mostly, I just mean because I have this internal anxiety. Um, I don't want to say that they did a bad job, but my personal reaction to the instruction that I received middle school and high school was fear, Mm -hmm. which I think many definitely, I don't think that's unique to me. And I also think that in many places, fear is the goal. It's not incidental to saying the kind of worst case scenario or common case scenarios it is the goal. And I don't think that that was what my teachers intended, but it certainly right. was a side effect right. because I think you're right. The, you err on the, the side of speaking to the kid who, kid. yeah, who's 
like leaving cutting class to have unprotected sex in the bathroom at school right and you want to talk to that kid to be like no yeah. <laughs> air traffic controller flashing don't land and and then you end up messaging the same way too um across the spectrum yeah i mean i was so immersed in that world or like so indoctrinated in it that it was kind of shocking to me that i couldn't get pregnant we ended up doing ivf both times um and i it 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 was a big adjustment for me to be like oh it's actually very hard to get pregnant yeah um and young people, if you're listening, it's probably not that hard for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely practice safe sex. But for me, it was like I didn't even understand that there's like a very narrow window of when you're fertile and just all that stuff. I just I still thought that um, you can you know you can get pregnant from precum, which mm-hmm. maybe theoretically is possible, but it's pretty unlikely. Yeah, especially for adults who are yeah, yeah. not teenagers. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Yes. Um, Josh Gondelman, are you familiar with StoryWorth? No, tell me more. StoryWorth is so cool. Uh, Alison Rosen is your new best friend is brought to you in part by StoryWorth. StoryWorth makes it easy and fun for your loved ones to share their stories with weekly emailed story prompts, questions you've never thought to ask. At the end of the year, they'll get their stories bound in a beautiful hardcover book. So um, StoryWorth makes a wonderful gift for someone in your life, in your family, whose stories you want to preserve. So... um, I got it for my dad, for example. And cool. I, my dad is, uh, loves to tell stories. And I thought that I had heard all of his stories more than once. Um, but via the prompts, I learned a lot of things I didn't know about him. Like, just like what was your, like the, some of the questions, like what was your first job? You know, how did you learn to drive? Mm-hmm. Stuff that I just would have thought I knew, but I didn't. Um, and it's great. It's such a great gift for grandparents or really for anyone. Um, get it for yourself and then it could be a gift to your kids. So you get these weekly story prompts and then by the end of the year, um, they bind it in this beautiful book and it's just such a good gift. Um, a lot of people have heard about it on my show and then gone on to get it. Cool. And they tell me about it and they love it. Um, and it's a wonderful gift for Mother's Day. Uh, for $20 off, Visit storyworth.com slash BFF when you subscribe. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash BFF. Excellent. Okay. So on your album, Dancing on a Weeknight, you recorded that in Brooklyn? I did. At the Bell House. Nice. Yeah. There's a moment uh, where you get heckled (laughs) and you handle it in in a very funny way. And it's also a night, then you sort of circle back. And it's very nice. Thank you. Do you, does this happen to you? Do you get heckled a lot? What's your experience with heckling? No, it's, I think it's pretty minimal. I don't, it's not as common as the pop culture conception of you go to a comedy club and people are just waiting to tell you that you suck. Like most of the time, that's not the case. People have paid money to be at a show. It's usually something kind of like what happened on the album where someone says, kind of blurts out something reacting to what you said or trying to you know oh i had an idea (laughs) and i almost cut it out of the album because i didn't want to send the message that heckling enhances the show right because it doesn't but i ended up um dominic delvene who from blonde medicine it's that's his company the record label that i worked with he convinced me to keep it because he just said it felt so spontaneous and intimate to to have that on the record and people 
really feeling as if they were in the room for the recording. Yeah, I loved it. Thank you. So that's that's why it stayed in. It wasn't because I felt especially proud of slamming that lady or um or because I thought that it was an undeniably holy like it wasn't the funniest part of the album, but it does feel the most oh, this was we captured something right. live rather than a um a studio version. But I like that you were nice to her. Oh, thank you. I didn't feel animosity. I mean, I was a little frustrated because this was a recording. And so I didn't want to have to take a detour and go, what? What? Please don't do that. (laughs) And I, and that's most of the reason I think why I responded. I didn't, you know, I didn't care what Mm -hmm. she'd said that much. I just wanted to gently reaffirm to the audience, please don't do this. Right. Right. I read um, the excerpt of, or no, maybe was one of, was an entire essay posted on yeah BuzzFeed? on BuzzFeed? Yeah. yeah, I read that essay uh, about you fainting yes. periodically, mm-hmm. and I loved it. Thank it was you. hilarious. I also have a similar sort of the part where you say you thought, "Oh no, it's happening again." I yeah. was like, "I know that feeling exactly." Yeah. Um, I don't think I've actually fainted, but I have, and I'm better with it now. But it started in grade school. Um, sometimes the sight of blood. Like I feel that sort of mm-hmm. that I get faint and I I have to get down and uh, yeah it's it's intense it's almost always fiction and I think part of it is just I words affect me really strongly and, and so I don't even usually put myself in the position where I'm looking at you know gore, gore. Yeah. yeah like I'm not a horror movie person. Um, it just, I find it all very overwhelming Mm -hmm. and it's, it's something that I've rarely talked about and I just thought it was very funny and specific and I've had other people kind of reach out and say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm in that boat too, which is very affirming and much better than people going, hey, um, about that thing you wrote, you suck, man. (laughs) Just you, you weirdo. Right. So you were on the fourth or fifth date with your now wife. With my now wife. You guys went to see Gone Girl. We went to see, yeah, Gone Girl and the... There's a scene, there's a very grisly murder. And I think part of it was I was surprised by how visceral this one scene was mm-hmm. in comparison to the rest of the film. And so it really took me off guard. And so I kind of, I didn't faint, but I did ease my way out of the theater. And my my now wife was where I had a, you know, three-year-old iPhone. And so the battery life was <laughs> minutes. Uh, and so... It died during the movie, and so I went to text her to say that, hey, I'm fine. I'm just going to be out in the, by the concessions. Don't worry about me. And my phone was dead, so she thought I had bailed on her mid-date. And so she came out, and I was just sitting with my back against one of the columns in the movie theater, and she was very sweet and got me a bottle of water, and I was deeply humiliated to explain <laughs> what had actually happened. And when did this this sort of visceral physical reaction to... Uh, hearing or reading yeah. or seeing gore or things that upset you. Um, when did that start? The first time. So in the book, I kind of jump into the first time it had uh, a really intense kind of flashbulb or the opposite of everything going black for a moment. Mm-hmm. And, and like what I would call fainting, I think. Um, and that was when I was in fifth grade. I'm pretty sure. But the previously there was this book, called it's pretty popular or there was a whole series called scary stories to read in the dark Mm -hmm. and it was ghost stories kind of 
fables almost. Some of them were probably generated for the books, but some of them were things you hear in different versions of, you know, at summer camp, someone would tell you. And there was one that I read about, um, I remember it now. This was second grade, I think. And I, uh, it was a story about these two grave robbers, which is a really fucked up thing to be reading about in second grade to begin with. And they went to steal a ring off a dead woman's hand and they went to cut off her finger because the ring wouldn't come off and she was alive mm. and had been oh buried alive. And I went, I, well, it was, that was to that point in my life, second grade, the worst thing I'd ever heard. And I got clammy and faint and I was just kind of, I felt very ill at my desk and my teacher noticed I was ghost white and they sent me home for the day. And it was, you know, I was, I thought to myself, mm, this is, uh, this is embarrassing. And my, and I still kind of, I, I, from time to time will test the boundaries of it. So a few years after that, I, I took, I took out an RL Stein adult horror book from the town library on a school field trip and I was reading it and I thought, you know, I'm, I, I know this feeling I'm going to get a drink of water and I think that will make me feel better. So I leave the classroom and I'm 11 and I, instead of turning the bubbler was down, bubbler water fountain, <laughs> very Bostonian, the water fountain was downstairs. And so fortunately I didn't turn to go down the stairs because it would have fallen right down the mm-hmm. stairs, but I walked straight forward across the hall face first into a door for of a room of hearing impaired students so they did not notice what had happened but the teachers did and came out and i'm just lying in the middle of the hallway kind of splayed out so it happened a couple of times as a child a couple of times as an adult and um it's a it's a, i'm it's so embarrassing it's so embarrassing to lose control of your body in that way over fiction mm-hmm. it's just like but is it always um like what do all the what do all the things have in common? I don't know. I can't fully tell. I think a lot of it is just a surprising, grotesque image that I can't overcome. Mm-hmm. Like a yeah, and so sometimes it's like in the R.L. Stein book. It was a murder. It right? was a murder, yeah. and then in the other in the when I was younger, it was not a murder. It was a living person, but it, right. I I just couldn't. But did they start? Uh, did they like? Did they cut her finger? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. But then it was a person coming to life. Right. Um. So, yeah, it's just usually physical violence or, like, anything just body horror stuff really does right. do. I think that's probably what it is. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's that. And then you also mentioned, because and I related to this intensely. Yeah. You like to hear the synopses of horror oh, movies. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, like, I... So I know that I can't see Get Out or Us because mm-hmm. they'll scare me too much. Yeah. But I've read this. I've read the plot summaries and Handmaid's. Did you watch Handmaid's Tale? I didn't. I don't. I think it would be too much for me. Yeah, it was definitely too much for me. Um, I watched one or two episodes and then I would read this the uh, summaries of those and that was just reading the summaries of those was almost too much. Oh for yeah. Me, but I still read them. I don't know why. I watched Get Out, which I liked, and I will probably see Us when it comes to home video Mm -hmm. but just being in a movie theater well it's kind of an optimal horror experience because you get the the energy of the whole crowd and the tension of the whole crowd i just don't want to be in a position where i'm like feeling physically uncomfortable and boxed in in any kind of way i would rather just be at home where i can go oh you know what i'm not feeling this and turn it off and come back to it later or not now People who can handle all that without having a physical response, mm-hmm. what do they have that you and I don't? I don't know. That's such a good question. I wonder if it's just a a better 
sense of personal safety or less um, that maybe they empathize less with fictional characters right. or, you know, remote scenarios. Um, Cause it's never happened to me while I was, let's say watching the news, you know, I, so I don't know what it is, mm-hmm. what it is exactly, but I think there must just be some kind of uh, sense of personal integrity right. that like, this is my body. These are things that are n- not a danger to it. And, and I just lack that entirely. In general, are you pretty suggestible? Like if someone starts talking about heat, will you feel hot or something? I don't know. I tr- I think I tried to be hypnotized once and it didn't work. Hmm. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Wait, you think you tried to be hypnotized I think once? so. I vaguely remember. We had a hypnotist at um, both my high school graduation. We had an all-night graduation party with a hypnotist. And then... Also, my college orientation, there was a hypnotist. So two this months is later. more hypnotist than most people have in their life. Yes. I don't know why. And I haven't. I uh, That's not true that I haven't seen one since. I've opened for comedy hypnotists, but mm. not for probably 10 years. Right. Um, but yeah, so two back to back. And the, the all night graduation party from high school, that's like a very fun time to have a hypnotist because it's people who have known each other for years, largely, and they... It's very fun to see people acting silly in a mm-hmm. fun, suggestible way, and they don't go too far. You know, they don't go over the line, and then you don't see these people again for a long time, um, or many of them. So it's kind of a, a a very safe environment for for comedy humiliation. Right. And then uh, at in college, the first week of college <laughs> during orientation is the absolute worst time, totally, because you're with people that you're going to see for years, yeah, and you don't know them yet, and you're uncomfortable and away from home maybe for the first time extensively and nervous and then people do these you know embarrassing things for laughs that are empirically not problematic to their life you know squawking like a chicken or reacting really intensely to benign stimulus but it is the kind of thing there's a kid who i don't even want to say it because i uh, but he there is a it's not even offensive it's just i don't I feel so bad that it's stuck, but there's a kid who they were like, this is your new nickname. You'll respond to it as if it was your name. And he did throughout this comedy hypnosis performance. And people called him that for all of college. He needs to sue this hypnotist. Yeah. You don't want to say what the name is. I don't because I don't want to, uh, dredge it up specifically, but it wasn't, it wasn't something offensive or gross. It was just a totally, but people, it stuck with him was right. the point. And people would yell at, you know, people would say it as late as senior year, if not beyond. That sucks. Mm-hmm. But it's funny. Yeah, but it sucks. But it sucks. It, and it's, it's funny. If it were just that night, it would be totally funny. Right. It, totally fine. Totally funny. But just, that's what's going to happen. That's the only thing a lot, of, you know, we probably went to college. If there were 200 people there in our class of 800, Maybe a hundred people never talk to this guy again, and, and that is the only thing they know about him forever. Yeah, that definitely sucks. Um, you know what? Uh, one of your uh, female cohorts would have needed to walk quickly away from this ridiculous situation. What's that? That was that was like one of my finest segues ever. Please, I've got to stop and just give, just I've jump just in. Got to celebrate the moments, the wins, and that segue. Uh, was silly um but anyway i'm talking about rothy's shoes i don't know if you know them. oh i do know them you yeah do know them. Okay. um my friend amanda mall just wrote a great piece about that included them for the atlantic 
Nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Rothy's are great. Um, They're stylish, sustainable, comfortable, washable. They're an all-in-one pair of shoes. They're the perfect flats for life on the go. And uh, they're really stylish. Yeah. So there's there's four different Rothy silhouettes. And then they change up the patterns and the colors a lot. Uh, You'll become an addict once you get a pair. And then you'll you'll have to go online all the time and get new pairs. Uh, But they're super comfortable. They're made out of recycled water bottles. And when you hear that, you think, well, that sounds like... uh, that sounds like something that wouldn't feel like the most comfortable, durable fabric on your feet, but it's crazy. I, when I used to talk about them, I would actually like pass a Rothy's shoe around the table. Oh, wow. Yeah. It feels so much like fabric. Uh, it's crazy. And also they're washable, which is great. Nice. And uh, they've been popularized by not only Meghan Markle, but the woman who walks our dog. Her name Ooh. is Kathleen. Our dog's name is Wendy, but the woman's name is Ka- Kathleen. And she was wearing them. And I said, I recognize them. I said, oh, are those Rothy's? And she said, yes, they're like the only shoe she's found that she can uh, wear. And they don't give her blisters right at the beginning. Ooh. So they're super duper comfortable. Um, one Yahoo editor called them the most comfortable flats I've ever known. It will blow your mind that they're made from recycled plastic water bottles. Uh, and um, you'll quickly discover why BuzzFeed called them their, quote, forever shoes. Check out all the amazing styles available right now at rothys.com slash Allison. Go to rothys.com slash Allison, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash Allison to get your new favorite flats. Comfort, style, and sustainability. These are the shoes you've been waiting for. Head to rothys.com slash Allison today. Okay, so we take questions on this podcast on Patreon and on Twitter. People on Patreon get their questions in a little bit ahead of Ooh, everyone else. Fancy. That's right. They get to jump the line. Uh, Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go if you want to become a subscriber. There's different reward levels, so you can get uh, um, bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes content, access to a live stream. There's a level where you get actual merchandise in the mail, all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, and uh, we have a little song. When we ask, they send them in They're wondering how you have been So thanks so much for answering These questions from our fans Okay Uh, Whitney C. would like to know What's your Starbucks order? Oh, okay, so first of all Slightly false premise Because I'm a Dunkin' Donuts uh, A daily Dunkin' Donuts person I drink iced coffee all year round uh, because I'm a, again, a garbage townie. So I'll, I'll do my daily coffee order is before I go to work, I'll get, or on the way to work before I get on the train, I will go, um, medium iced coffee, milk, one sugar. That's my regular. If I go to Starbucks, which is rare, mm-hmm. I will get a, uh, usually a tall iced vanilla latte as a treat. Do you ever drink hot coffee? No. Occasion I'll drink hot tea if I am sick. Mm. But other than that, I think those are the that's the only hot beverage I usually go for. Now your um allegiance to Dunkin', are you bummed out if you can't find a Dunkin' Donuts? Is does that ever happen? It doesn't um I'm not bummed out if I can't find one. I mean it, it is part of my routine, but if I'm meeting with a friend to drink a coffee, like the ambiance is not good for that uh or not as good as in you know a cozier smaller coffee shop so i will i'll if i'm doing something like that i you know i met a friend for coffee today and i didn't insist we drive to one of the whatever four dunkin donuts (laughs) in the greater los angeles area right so but it is i do feel you know if i'm on the road even although i try to go to a local place if i'm on the road but in an airport i'll see go to dunkin but i'll you know i'll take a pizza or a caribou in a pinch Mm -hmm. or a starbucks ariana bisky 
if uh, she says this is very exciting the, the fact that you're on the show. Oh, that's so sweet. How does he stay so positive and kind in the midst of the Twitter cesspool? Oh, interesting. Great question. I think some of it is um, fortunate brain chemistry that I'm I'm pretty even keeled about stuff and I, I let little or large internet garbage go for the most part. And also I think as a man, I'm just not subjected to the worst of it that often. So... That that helps, um, but I think part of it is my the people that I that follow me and that I follow take my personality and tweets in good faith. I'm not a famous person where you know if if someone with three million followers tweets something, you're going to get dozens of people, no matter what it is, saying you're an idiot. That's wrong just by virtue of the numbers game. So sometimes I'll look at those kind of people's tweets yeah. just to see like, what is it like to be that person? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And just to see how much shit they get. They it get seems horrible. Yeah. But I also think that there's a part of it is, so part of it is um, circumstantial and situational and just happenstance. And part of it is, I think it's important to model goodness that you'd like to see mm-hmm. and i think it's it's helpful and and if i'm in a dark place and i want to complain about something to tip over into for me only into complaining takes me it doesn't i go very quickly from oh i scratched that itch that i had to whoops scratched it too hard mm-hmm. and now i need a band-aid mm-hmm. <laughs> so i i think it just it helps me preserve my own um mental health to to not lean too far into the darkness but you do um talk on your album about how at night your wife oh yeah 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 yeah. uh reads actual books Mm -hmm. and you just scroll and then you get kind of angry i'll get agitated or like even sometimes it's agitating and that's what plays best for the joke and then but other times it's just i go down rabbit holes of you know on the east coast if i'm if I'm just scrolling through Twitter, it's like, oh, a friend who's in California is tweeting about something, go back and forth. And you could just do that way later because by the time I'm in bed, they're watching, you know, whatever primetime sitcoms are on. Right. <laughs> they're watching Blackish, let's say. Right. Do you get agitated a lot, though? I will get. It, it happens. It happens sometimes that I will get specifically agitated by things I read online. I mean, most of it is. Oh, this is a signifier that the world is bad and has to be worked on. And so it's not that I let it roll off intellectually. It's not that I hear and go, well, nothing you can do about it. But it is, you know, um I think my my wife will sometimes read uh something like Donald Trump says, What was the one there was just some dumb thing today? Oh Negotiator in Chief. No, no, no the, today was the thing about reaffirm, oh, praising Robert E. Lee. And <laughs> I missed that one. Yeah, he he reaffirmed his stance about good people on both sides in Charlottesville, which is monstrous. And then he said Robert E. Lee was a great general, which is, I think, objectively not he not a spectacular truth. And I just can't, while I know that he is a bad man and that his opinions are dog shit um, and every utterance is poison, I can't. I just try not to get bogged down in the things that he says that do not have immediate horrible consequences because I'm just like, Oh yeah, he's a racist old idiot. So he said a dumb old racist thing. Mm-hmm. That's he's a, a filth. He's trash. Uh, who 
if you say and if you know who um who are who are you liking for 2020 for 2020 mm-hmm. i mean i and this is not just massachusetts bias but i think elizabeth warren said a lot of smart things i think i think bernie said a lot of smart things a, lo- a lot of the candidates have i just find that consistently elizabeth warren speaks to issues that i think are important issues for a lot of people that i think would make a lot of people's lives better um and not that other candidates aren't trying to do that uh i just think her batting average is generally pretty high and her kind of weird um old-timey politician mistakes are fewer and further between i think like the blood test obviously was a mistake Mm -hmm. but there are there are just fewer things that I find to be like, oh no, not this again. <laughs> and you know, Joe Biden this morning said, "I still think marijuana is a gateway drug." It's like, hey man, <laughs> you could just not run for president. Right. You could just do anything. You're you you could just run if you if he hadn't seemed like he was announcing he was running for president, people wouldn't have uh, been so vocal about the kind of gross boundary violating things he's done in the past he could have just lived a fine life Mm. and and that's not happening and i mean i think it is good that people are speaking out about these kind of boundary violations but for him he would have been happier not having that happen i imagine yeah i like elizabeth warren a lot as well yeah um and i have some sort of uh block against bernie yeah i can't get there i I don't know i but it feels more knee-jerk than informed Mm -hmm. Um, were you going to say you know people who have that? I do. I know a lot of people. And I think... Um, Are they mostly women? It's a lot of women. Some men, though, too. It's not It's not exclusively women, for sure. And, But I think... I mean, I think he's another person who speaks a lot towards things that would be helpful towards a lot of people. Yes. And yeah. has a commitment to that. Which right. I, like, I don't have any issues with his platform. I think I have an issue with his... What I feel is his role in 2016, mm-hmm. but I don't know that... I don't know if that's really fair. Sure, sure, sure. I think th- that that election is just so the echoes of it are still so present and so just the everybody involved in that election, I feel like there's just like, "Ugh, what a bad political time yeah. in America that was." Yeah. And this is. Uh Tim Ortez would like to know how long were you a writer on Last Week Tonight with John Oliver? I think you answered that. Yeah, I, I was the web producer for the first year and then I wrote for the show for the next four. So I was there for five years writing for the show for four. Um all right. And now, do you still talk to John Oliver? Um we're I mean we're not close, but he it was a great boss and I'm going to we I mean we work in the same building still, so I'm going to go bother him at um to see if he'll blurb my book. But he's like a super nice dude. But he's just like a very professional, private guy. So it's not, we don't, you know, we're not always texting, hey, did you see this? <laughs> but we, I've run into him at stand-up stuff and he's yeah. always, he's so funny and very cool. Um, okay, now some questions that came in on Twitter. Lizzie Rose says, hi, Josh, you are a delight. I can't wear white shirts because I inevitably stain them. What clothes can you not wear? Are you a neat clothes person and think the rest of us are disgusting? I don't think the rest of, of people are disgusting. I, and I'm not... I'm medium neat. My problem is I am, I, I'm a little bit of a slob myself. And so I'll have a shirt that I wear that, you know, a, a button down shirt that I like. And 
I will wear it and then I will um, leave it on a chair clean, you know, clean enough that wear it again. There's no need to, you know, I wore it out for three hours and it's perfectly clean. Came home. I'll leave it on a chair. It'll get all scrunched up beyond my ironing capacity (laughs) for at home, you know, with our little ironing board and our little steamer. And so I will have to take it to, to get laundered. And because I'm resistant to doing that because that's a waste of money. And, um, I will just resist wearing nicer button down shirts. So that's, I, I have my own thing as the short answer and it's button down shirts. (laughs) Um, by the way, uh, I am trying to keep my, I'm reading these off of my phone, but I'm trying to keep my phone away from the recorder. Oh, got it. Got it. 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 I thought you were showing me the, your home screen. I know you thought that, um, it's a it's a photo of my son Elliot when he was an infant, and now that I have two, I feel like I need to update it to a photo of two, two photo of them. both of them. Yeah, but I haven't yet. But thankfully, the younger one is not aware. Uh, okay, <laughs> Chance Dibbin says, one, what is the best cardigan shade? Mm-hmm. Two, and I love this one. Who pep talks the pep talker? That's very <laughs> sweet. I have a lot of love and support in my life. It's usually my wife Maris who's the best. She's a wonderful genius, and she's so kind and loving as a, a partner. So that's who my go-to is for pep talks. Um, but also, you know, I, my, um, my buddy, Jason Marcus, who's a screenwriter is, he is one of the most encouraging people I know. And so we mutually are do that for each other all the time too. That's nice. Yeah. It's really good. Um, and then best shade of cardigan. Right. I think it's whatever suits you. My personal, my personal cardigan taste is, medium thickness to light thickness. I don't like a big, heavy sweater. And usually, um, I don't know the name of the collar, but not the shawl collar, like Mm -hmm. not the big doubled over one. I like a thin sweater, especially it's for versatility of um, indoor, outdoor. If I'm wearing it under a coat in the winter, I don't want it too thick, so I'm sweating when I get to work. Right. Uh, But yeah, medium, medium thickness to thin thickness is my cardigan preference. And do you have a favorite color? Of cardigan. Oh, um, my current favorite one is a navy blue, um, but that might just be because I like the fit. I also have a kind of a, I, I'm looking at the year mug, but like a Santa Claus red one that is a little thicker, but I also really like it. Just it hangs nicely and mm. feels comfy. Jack Pepsi would like to know what is your favorite comedy venue to perform in. Ooh, that's a great question. Um, there are so many places that I've had so much fun, but my, I recorded my album at the bell house, which is definitely a favorite, um, union hall in New York in Brooklyn as well, which is nearby. There's kind of this triangle of union hall, Littlefield, and the bell house that are all about eight to 10 blocks from each other. Is Littlefield new? Li- no, it's been there for, I think it's been there for a little while at least they j- there's an, they relocated, but they're one block from where they used to be. And it's the same name and everything. Uh, and it's almost the mirror image of the old, venue it's just facing the other way it's like almost back to back um so those three places are and they're they're easy to get to from where i live and so that's kind of that and i really love working at the comedy cellar is my other mm-hmm. uh, it, it's uh the i re- i like performing in new york city but i also i mean like the comedy attic in bloomington is amazing as a, a club i've been to a few times and the vermont comedy club in burlington do you find that there is a good venue in LA? 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just at Dynasty Typewriter last night for my album release show, and it was it was so beautiful and so much fun. I really liked the the aesthetic of it and the physical. The tech was really on point. I didn't have to. It was. It's a big enough room that I, you know, you might have to. If the sound were not excellent, you'd have to raise your voice and maybe speak out of your regular rhythm. But I felt like I was very in control and everything just sounded and looked and felt great. Um, but I, I really love the Virgil. Um, UCB Franklin is great. Um, I haven't performed as much at the clubs here, so I can't really speak to it, but there, there are plenty of places here. Uh, Bart would like to know what are the skeletons in his closet? Where are all the bodies that Josh has buried? Oh, that's interesting. I that question implies that the skeletons are separate from the bodies, <laughs> right? Which is super gross. Yeah. Just like keep the bones intact, right. rend the flesh. Mm-hmm. That um, oh, terrifying. I I don't think there are too many. I guess you know maybe um, uh, if there are people that I dated and broke up with abruptly, that's probably the skeletonisty I get. Have you broken people's hearts? I don't know if I've broken people's hearts. I've definitely um disappointed people (laughs) do you feel bad do you do you feel guilt about that um i think the relationships that i've had that have ended which is romantic relationships which is all except for my marriage um i feel they all ended reasonably and kind of fairly makes it sound cold but i think we did our best on on both sides, is what I think. Um, I still think about like one person I went on two dates with probably six years ago, and then I just kind of said, "Hey, uh, you know, I'm really busy coming up forever, uh, basically," <laughs> and, and and could have done a more upfront job of saying that. Mm-hmm. And I, I I still feel a little lingering. I'm sure if I reached out now, she would be like this is a dickhead move of you to say that now, but I don't think there was anything heartbreaking about it. I just think I was kind of a, a um, low level fuck boy shit. <laughs> Why weren't you direct? Um, I don't know. I think, I think I was afraid of the response of the thing that I wanted to say, which was, Hey, you know, we had a good time and, um, but I just not feeling it, mm-hmm. which is not the worst thing you can say to a person. And it is very, some people um, appreciate that. Actually. I think I th- I yeah. think I should. I mean, I should have done it for sure. Um, I think most people probably appreciate it rather right. than just kind of a a slow fade. Yeah. Um, but I I hadn't done that much. Uh, I have I've still I've never I was never really dating a person two or three times and then not seeing them again. Mm-hmm. I I went on a brief period of like a bunch of first dates, and I think after a first date, especially if you if it's the physical contact is very limited and it's not, and the chemistry is not spectacular conversationally, I think not talking after that is totally fine. But this is somebody I went out to maybe three times and, you know, we had, we had kind of a fun, like weird date around New York city, going to a bunch of different places. And, and so it was, I think it, I should have been more conscientious. And, so did you did you just fade out or Yeah, it was just kind of, you know, she would text and I would say, Oh, uh, yeah, I'm pretty busy this week and then it would be pretty busy the next week. Or, oh, I'm going out of town. And then part of it was 
I I don't know that I was really trying to fully close the door. And then I think pretty soon I just started dating someone more seriously. Mm -hmm. And so that's a weird thing to do is to be like, oh, by the way, I'm dating someone else seriously. So I, I think I felt a little bit. Dating is so messy. It's just very messy. This, just I often think, but it doesn't. Oh, God, it I'm doesn't have that. to be though. I think we put a lot of we overthink a lot, or I do for sure. I mean, that's the theme of this podcast is mm-hmm. I overthink a lot. <laughs> but I do, I think that if I had just said, hey, you know, this is I you're you seem really cool. I just am not super feeling our vibe together. Um. And I, I'm sorry if that comes off as hurtful, but I don't want to string you along. Excuse me, because I'm sure we could hang out a bunch more times and have, have fun, but I'm just not, you know, not in it to win it. Um, I think that would, that's fine to say. Right. And I think we overthink. We want to not have conversations that are confrontational, or I don't, or didn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still don't, but it's not these kind of conversations. Right. I just hate confrontation. Um But I think there's also, and maybe, I don't know if this was at play in your situation or not, but I think there's also the fear of being seen as presumptuous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's totally true. Why are you breaking up with me? We weren't even in a relationship Yeah, totally. Right. You you can't fire me. I quit. Yeah. Um, Yeah. What what do you mean you broke up? You don't want to see me anymore. I barely want to see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Except I do feel like, but I just want to underline what I said before, though. I still do feel like that's the best way to go. I do. I think being being upfront and I... um, and I just didn't have that. I mean, unfortunately, it came down on this very nice woman that I didn't have the emotional, interpersonal vocabulary right. to to be better. But also, you just said that you um, you wanted to leave the door open. Like maybe you. It sounds like you weren't totally sure. Yeah, maybe and maybe I did. You know, because she was somebody we had a fun couple dates, and I was just like, you know, that didn't seem. You know, there was no, there was nothing. And I was like, I can never see this person again. Right. Um, but then I, and all the things I said were true. I was very busy. You know, it's, it is all those excuses were true. I was busy. Then I was out of town and then, you know, so, yeah, and those, else, yeah. yeah. And so I think the excuse, like, instead of making the excuses, I should have been more honest with myself also. And just mm. said like, oh, will I want, when I'm not busy, will I want to hang out? Or when I'm back in town, will I want to hang out? Because otherwise, the excuses are just excuses and they're not relevant information. Right. I'm, I could have just said, um, not feel, not, this is not for me. This this relationship is not for me. Or whatever it was we were doing was not for me. But um, instead, I kind of, I tried to kick the kick the ball down the road and hope that, it would just kind of fizzle naturally, which is again, it's um immature. I remember I once I was trying to break things off with a guy and I actually really liked him. And I think for him, it was kind of just a hookup. Sure. Um, but I like got up the nerve to finally tell him I need some space, mm-hmm. which is not what I meant to say. Sure. So then in like three weeks, he called me. He's like, did I give you enough space? And I'm like, Oh no, I meant, you know, all of it. Yeah. But it's like, I, I just was snatching at some, relationship phrase i had heard yeah well it's hard to articulate the real i mean the ultimate bottom line honest truth when you're breaking up with someone is i don't want to date you right and that is maybe a little cold to say without some kind of adornment or nicety but it is the ultimate truth right the subtext of everything it's not you it's me uh i need some space um whatever it is whatever the the 
whatever box you're checking or whatever cliche or rationale you're using, the the bottom line is I don't want to date you. You just can't say that to someone. Right. Well, I remember another time there was this guy that I'd gone. I met him on online, but we had mutual friends. I went on a couple dates with him. I thought things were going like well. Yeah. And um, in fact, maybe you relate to this. Mm-hmm. This sort of is maybe a little bit similar to your, to your story. And then I get this email from him like the next day yeah. after our second date. Um, saying that he had a really fun time with me, but he sees us more as, you know, sure. he, he could see us being more being friends mm-hmm. than um, dating. And, da, da, da. and I, I felt so hurt by that. So stunned. Just yeah. Like, what? Um, and I remember I forwarded it to my, a guy friend of mine and I was like, you know, like, what game is he pulling? Yeah. He's like, I think he's just telling you the truth. Right. He's being very responsible and honest. Yeah. <laughs> but I, it is. I feel like that's like very kind of, female though to be like what's he really trying to say like yeah I'm not that's all very women funny do that, but no it's very funny like, I, i'm not taking i'm not i'm not uh i'm not taking your first i'm not taking this as a no <laughs> right 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 what what's the, is that your opening negotiation yeah, exactly um that's really that's very funny uh, that perception of it yeah but that's like the most responsible way to do it right, right. Is to go, the next day hey i'm not trying to keep you on ice here that I like you and, but not in this way. I think that's really responsible. Also though, I think one thing that I've always been or been increasingly good at culminating in marriage is telling someone that you like, that you like them. And I think that's another, that comes much more naturally to me Mm -hmm. and it is not natural for everybody. I think there are some people that are better at, excuse me, I, I'm not interested in you in this way. And heart and have a harder time saying, um, I, I really like you and would like to see you again as soon as possible, mm-hmm. you know, because that's also a vulnerable thing to say and puts you at risk for different kinds of complicated feelings. Right. But I've, I've gotten in, I got increasingly good at that and I'm, I'm good at it now in professional and friendship settings. I'm really good at being like, Hey, I really like this thing you do. I think it's very cool. Um, or that was really fun. You know, I, I, um, had, uh, coffee with a friend at who I were not super close. We, we haven't hung out that much. And I texted after, I was like, Hey, that was really great. I had a, I felt really good about that conversation and it really made my day better. And I think that kind of stuff is, it's, you know, you, you always worry about like, Oh, did it nerd? Nah, <laughs> you, you suck. I thought it, I thought the conversation was bad. Um, so I think articulating those kind of feelings are very, natural and easy for me and mm. and and this kind of ties back into the premise of the book is that's the easy part and then the hard part is the stuff like i don't want to see you anymore or this conversation made me uncomfortable and i just want to tell i just want to let you know that that didn't feel good to me god i feel like i let small things go all the time mm-hmm. because dealing with them is just too uncomfortable for oh me. yeah totally no doubt I, I'll I'll eat shit on small things all day long, mm-hmm. and not not with my wife. Just right. Oh, right. Know. Yeah, I don't do it with my husband. No. Yeah. I and we. I mean, if there's something, like, oh, hey, could you? And I try to be very upfront about that. And it's you know, it's not super common that I have to be like, could you do things differently? Mm-hmm. But um, definitely in broader social contexts, I'll just be like, mm-hmm, yeah, okay, yeah, it's um, tough. 
I'm sorry, you know, just apologize for something someone else did. <laughs> right. Uh, and then lastly, mm-hmm. Dimitri Ravenos says, can you tell us about the day that you didn't have it in you to give a pep talk? Sure. Um, what a, what an interesting question. I, was, is there an actual day that people know about? The no, 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 no. It's not like the day the music died. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, occasionally it will happen. And I usually, usually it's just because I'm very sleepy. Mm-hmm. I would like to do it, but I'm very sleepy. And I've not, I don't think maybe once I've made an offer and then kind of fallen asleep and I come back and clean it up the next morning and said, oh, hey, sorry about that. Here's the things that I would have said last night. But yeah, I mean, there are sometimes on the road where I'm, a little, I feel a little remote and a little adrift, but, um, I, and I would like to do that cause I, I have fun. I find it an enjoyable, fulfilling experience, but I just will be too physically exhausted. I don't usually, because it's kind of born out of me feeling a little needy or a little sad was the first time I ever did. I was like, not in a great mental headspace. Um, as I guess, opposed to a physical headspace, <laughs> <laughs> helmet <laughs> um right <laughs> but i so it it's not usually that i'm emotionally unprepared to to do that it's it's usually physical mm-hmm. yeah you're not in the right physical headspace yeah usually. right the physical headspace <laughs> exhaustion that's that's what it is sleepiness yeah my headspace is firmly uh nestled against a pillow do you or have you ever had depression i have had periods i'm i try to be really careful when i talk about it personally because i don't know that i've ever had anything that i would describe that fits the clinical definition of depression i am sad sometimes and i don't i also don't want to say it to seem like um oh i'm healthy and depression is bad and gross Mm -hmm. i just don't want to diminish the experiences of people who live with depression and deal with depression as a a real part of their life um or a frequent part of their life but i've definitely had periods that were sad i think i've had some bad breakups over the years that kind of stuck with me for weeks or months and i've had professional disappointments or periods of professional disappointments that feel they're really i can still feel that you know i can bring myself back there Mm -hmm. in my head and it feels very um urgent, even though it was, you know, maybe a few months, several years ago, but I, I, and so I definitely can empathize and not just sympathize with people who are, um, dealing, dealing with depression, living with depression, but I don't know that I can say conclusively that it's something that I have or haven't. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I try, I just try to be really careful. So I, cause I don't want to sound like I'm dismissing or claiming anyone's experience as my one way or the other, dismissing someone's real experience as like, Oh yeah, I've done that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or claim, claiming it as my own, even if it's not the same. Right. Um, what would your wife say are your shortcomings? Oh, whoa. That cuts me right to the quick. Um, I think she would say that I don't say no to people. Mm. I I bet that would be the first thing she says is that I take on more than I have the time and energy for because I don't want to disappoint people or lose momentum in my own career. So I say yes to things that intellectually I know I should say no to. And and you agree with that? Oh yeah, absolutely. She's, she's right about almost everything, if not everything. (laughs) 
Josh Gondelman, and sorry to go out on your shortcomings. It's, oh, that's just, okay. Uh, that, that's how I end most conversations. <laughs> just uh, an acknowledgement of saying like too much and then a, no. an apology. Uh, but I see, I feel like if that, if that is truly, if that's the darkness in you, then there is no darkness. That's very kind of you to say. Thank you. Um, it was so nice catching up with you. Really great to I'm see so you. I'm so happy to see all your success. I'm happy to see... Uh, culture and society and just the world at large embrace the niceness that is josh gondelman that's very kind and everyone should listen to dancing on a weeknight thank you oh where did the title come from it was it's a line in a tiny line in one of the jokes that doesn't even get that much of a laugh but it kind of feels uh and and it came my friend andrew mayer who's a very funny comedian i mentioned the encyclopedia definition of fun and he said you should define that as like an extra tag and so dancing on a weeknight came to me very quickly and it's kind of excuse me, slightly more fun than you should be having. That's mm-hmm. the the general tone of the album. It's not, you know, it's not a wild party. It's just, <laughs> oh, this is fun. And maybe I didn't expect I would have so much fun. <laughs> yes. So I will link to all these things. Oh, thank um, you. And also, uh, Nice Try is available for pre-order. Yeah. Pre-order as of, uh, as of this week, as of this recording, which is like really exciting. And pre-orders, I'm sorry to just go off on this no, plug, do. but pre-orders are so helpful for authors. And so if you have any inclination to read the book, uh, a pre-order would do a lot for me. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so I will link to it in the episode summary, but thank tell you. everyone one uh where they can plug anything you'd like to plug tell everyone where they can find you oh great so um at josh gondelman on twitter and instagram josh gondelman.com and it's g-o-n-d-e-l man um album stuff is available there um book stuff will be up by monday on the website so i don't this comes out monday oh great 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 so book stuff by the end of that day that my you can pre-order my book through my website but you can also do it through um harperperennial.com or harpercollins.com Nice. And uh, I'm at Allison Rosen. T-shirts, ringtones, pins, Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Allison Rosen. And I have another podcast called Childish that I do with Greg Fitzsimmons. Please check that out and um, subscribe to that one and this one and leave comments and all that stuff that you know to do with podcasts. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? 